It's a true joy to see every one of you come and worship with us and study God's Word. We continue series in Three Angels' Messages, and today's topic is the hour of His judgment. So we are still in First Angels' Message, and Revelation 14.7 says, um, And He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him, who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. Three imperatives in this verse. The first one, fear God. The second one, give glory to him. And the third one is worship him. Urgent call coming from heaven to all the people in the world. Does it include you and me? It does. And the reason for those three imperatives are given in the, in the text, and I highlighted the text because it says the hour of his judgment has come. The hour of his judgment has come. So we will be studying this message, honing in and focusing in, this, in the message of the, of the judgment. Everything depends on the decision of the judgment. Would you agree with that? We are living in a time of judgment. Decisions are made for eternity. So if any message was of any importance, the message about the judgment should be the message of importance. Unfortunately, the enemy succeeded that most of the Christian, Christians today do not understand the message of the judgment Many churches are not studying the message of the judgment. And some even are fearful of the message of the judgment. Even us as Adventists, we, we kind of um, shy away from preaching the message of the judgment. Recently, um, USA Today published an article in 2018 actually about Adventist church. Because sometimes we feel like our distinct truths and messages will scare people away. So what they discovered in, in that um, survey was rather surprising. You know, Adventist, Adventism has been one of the fastest growing denominations, and um, they thought that Adventism with Sabbath keeping, with unique diet, and with uh, the message of, about sanctuary and judgment should scare people away. But in fact, it was one of the fastest growing denominations, and even now is one of the fastest growing denominations. So why? The survey shows that in this article, it tells us that Adventists are basically calling people back to basics, and many sincere people, they are looking for, for that truth, the basic Bible truth. People resonate and respond to that truth. Here's what the article says. Seventh-day Adventism has an urgent mission to bring the gospel with a distinctive emphasis on Christ's imminent second coming. Notice the word distinctive emphasis, which makes us to stand out from other denominations. Let's keep reading. It says, Adventists find the essence of their mission in Revelation 14:12, where the end of the age calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, and those are the 
the characteristics given here in the, in the scripture who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. So three angels' message that we are studying now, it's not a strange message. It's basically calling people back to basics. It's calling people to, to rediscover um, biblical truths that um, you can find in the Bible from the beginning to the end of, of the Holy Scriptures. So today, I pray that we discover true meaning of judgment. It's not an easy task. Uh, the, the, the topic of judgment is not very clearly understood even in our own circles. Wouldn't you agree with that? You're very quiet. That means you might agree. So in a nutshell, what judgment is all about? I think you would agree if we say that the essence of the judgment is to get you into heaven. Would you agree with that? The essence of the judgment is to, to get you into heaven and to make sure that God's kingdom's finally here. Let me begin with a quiz. What Bible verse has given a birth to our denomination? A Bible verse, I'll give you a hint. A Bible verse that has a connection with the judgment. Would you tell me which Bible verse gave birth to our denomination and pertains to biblical judgment? Anybody? I will give you a clue. <laughs> um, it has the longest Bible time prophecy embedded in that verse. Daniel 8.14, absolutely. Daniel 8.14 is the key verse, the scripture that has to do with judgment. And he said unto me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. The word cleansed means restored to its rightful state. It will be restored, it will be cleansed, it will be renewed to its original condition. So this, this particular scripture is pointing to, to the Day of Atonement. And our pioneers believed that the second coming would be the Day of Atonement. They believed that the sanctuary is our planet. And so they were preaching about this verse. They were waiting for the, for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And, then the, and then God revealed to them that the sanctuary that the verse is talking about is, is not the planet Earth, but it's sanctuary in heaven or the temple of God in heaven. And some of our critiques, they say Adventists came up with this idea that there is a temple in heaven, but there is no such a thing. Let me ask you another question. Do we have a proof in the scripture that there is a sanctuary in heaven? There is more than one. Let me give you one, one proof here from Revelation 11. Then the temple of God was opened where? In heaven. in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. In fact, Bible, uh, the book of Revelation has seven great scenes. And every scene that is, is shown in the book of Revelation begins with the temple in heaven. 
There are a few other scriptures that you may take a note if you'd like to study more about the temple in heaven. It's Hebrews chapter 8 gives you a description of, of the ministry of our high priest Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. In fact, when Moses was given a command to build the sanctuary on earth, he was told to build after the pattern that was shown to him. Amen? Amen. So there is temple in heaven and there is a sanctuary in heaven. And that's the place where, this, where the judgment is taking place. Because the Day of Atonement has to do, well, one of the names for the Day of Atonement is the Day of Judgment. So, um, is there any prophecy about this judgment in the Bible? We find in the book of Acts, chapter 17, and verse 31, it says, He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. So, Bible says in the book of Acts that God appointed a day. It's on God's schedule, in other words. So a prophetic message from Daniel, it tells us that it, it, it has an appointed time. Um, Acts 17, 31 tells us that there is appointed time. When is that time? Are we, are we there yet? Or are we still waiting for the judgment? Well, detailed study of the prophecy about 2300 days shows us that the period begins with 457 BC with Artaxerxes giving the, the edict to rebuild Jerusalem and, and, and restore the temple and everything. And then if we count the prophetic charts, bringing us to the time of Messiah the Christ after 69 weeks, 70 weeks are cut off for the people of God, which is 490 years, bringing us to, to this uh, stoning of Stephen and the gospel going to the Gentiles. But if we look from 457 all the way down the history, brings us to what year? 1844. And that's the time when the angel in Revelation announces that there will be time no more. The word chronos that he is using is a time marker. So he says there is no other prophetic time marker after that date. That prophetic date introduces anti-typical day of atonement. Which means that the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would enter most holy place, begins in the most holy place. So that's why when we get to Revelation 14, our original verse that we read in the very beginning, when angels are proclaiming the, their message to the world, it says that the hour of his judgment is come or has come which means it's already happening at the time of proclamation of three angels' messages. They begin to sound in 1844, and they will continue to sound until the end of probation. And this is the time when the judgment is already happening. It may be a new thought to you, but if you think about it, only pre-Advent judgment makes sense in in biblical uh, theology. Because when Jesus comes, he will come to bring the rewards. Amen? 
And decisions will be made before he comes. This is why the book of Revelation announces that the hour of his judgment is come. It's here. It's a sobering thought to think that the judgment in the courts of heaven, in the very presence of God, is already happening. So the next question is, who's going to be invited to the judgment? Who's going to be part of this process? Let's go to 2 Corinthians um, 5.10. It says, for, me, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, that little word, all, <laughs> does it include you? Does it include me? includes all of us. The names will be presented. Everybody will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Daniel Webster, brilliant thinker, great American statement, statesman, one, once was asked, what is the greatest question that has ever crossed your mind? After a moment of thought, he answered, my personal accountability to God. We were created as free, moral um, human beings. But we were created by a loving God creator. And according to scriptures, we have a moral accountability before God. And judgment, judgment includes that. So how can we learn from the Bible, the meaning of this judgment message. I pray for wisdom, and I understand that one sermon will not be enough to, to deal with the theme of judgment. Did you realize that judgment is mentioned in the Bible 1,000 times? Everyone has to appear. It's mentioned 1,000 times in the scripture, and it's happening right now. How more important that can be. You know, our pioneers believe that the Day of Atonement and Sanctuary and the Judgment message is central to our understanding of the Gospel. Actually, Uriah Smith presented an illustration. He said, look, if you imagine the wheel that has a hub and the spokes, right? Um, so the hub is Sanctuary and the Day of Atonement and the rest of, of our doctrines, they connect, they're connected to the hub. So how do we approach this topic of, of the sanctuary and judgment and day of atonement? I would like to divide it in three portions. And I don't know how much time we'll have today, how much we can, all, we can cover, because we have a lot of territory to cover. But I would like to, say, to, to study it in three um, sections. At first, I would like to look with you at the sanctuary, because sanctuary is the place where a judgment is taking place. So without understanding sanctuary, we wouldn't be able to really grasp the meaning of the judgment. Does it make sense? Okay, the next thing we want to look at the very judgment event and what it involves, what is at stake, what is happening at judgment. So that's the second kind of um, part of our journey. And the third one is most important, I believe, and the most difficult perhaps would be 
how are we going to be saved? How are we going to make through judgment? And that's, that's going to be um, an exciting study. I, I'm really excited about this topic because I believe it's, it's so important. And I, I'm excited about what I have been discovering in God's word when I was studying about the judgment. So I'm very anxious to share with you. And I'm very happy to announce to you beforehand that judgment is a good news. Amen? It's a good news. It's a good news. It's a good news. So you're, you're kind of tense and a little bit worried what, what, what we're going to study. But I want you to know that the center of the judgment message is Christ. And judgment is good news. Amen? Amen. So let's begin with the sanctuary. Let's dive in. See, understanding of the sanctuary is basic to understanding, uh, to understand our faith. And all of our beliefs are connected with the sanctuary. Um, Psalm 77, 13 says, Your way, or God, is in the sanctuary. God's character is revealed in the sanctuary. His way of salvation and his way to your heart is revealed in the sanctuary as well. So it must be important. I, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 27, and uh, one of the verses there expresses David's excitement. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and um, this is what I seek, he says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So what is the house of the Lord in this verse? It's the sanctuary, the temple of God, the house of the Lord, and why he wants to be there. Why he desires to be there as much as possible all the days of his life. And then in the next verse, he gives us three reasons why sanctuary is important for David. You want to know those reasons? Number one, he says, to behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold his goodness, in verse 13 it says, to behold his love, to behold his character, to behold... Um, how great our God is. And David says, I go to the sanctuary to see the beauty of the Lord. A second reason. He says, and to inquire in his temple. Now, this, this particular verb means to find answers for my questions and to learn, to, to receive knowledge of God in the temple of, of God. Because sanctuary, it teaches. It's an object lesson. Amen? Amen. I remember one time, and I, I hope Rick um, wouldn't mind me sharing this story. We had a program, Pathways to Health. And we had um, different meetings going on. And we announced that at one point, we will have Bible studies here at Linwood. But that night, we didn't plan Bible studies yet. And our brother Rick, he came with the Bible and he was looking for the pastor and I was there. And so he says, I heard that you guys are offering Bible studies. So is there a Bible study? I told, well, uh, I told him that, um, you know, it's not tonight. It's going to be um, like next Wednesday or something. But I said, if you want Bible study, I'll give you a Bible study. So we sat on that pew right there in the foyer and I gave him a Bible study. I, I like to draw, 
when I teach, so I grab the piece of, of paper and we started drawing the uh, outline of the sanctuary. <laughs> and step by step, I began sharing what God wants to do in our lives on, based on the sanctuary uh, structure. Because sanctuary teaches the way of salvation. It was just a simple study. There's nothing special about it. I'm so grateful, Rick, for you and that you're here, our, our brother in Christ. Because next Sabbath he came and he said, you know, that little study helped me so much to learn what God wants to do in my life. Amen? Amen. So David says, I come to behold the beauty of the Lord, number one, and to do what? To inquire, to learn. Sanctuary is teaching. And third reason why, why David loves the sanctuary so much is because he shall hide me in his pavilion. And if you continue to read it, he talks about the time of trouble. He talks about the dangers out there. And he says, where do I find refuge? Are you going through the stormy times in your life? Where do you find refuge? David says, I find that refuge in God's holy temple. I remember the words of Asaph. He says, my feet, my foot almost slipped when I saw um, how the wicked prosper and, and stuff like that. He began to doubt God's love and God's goodness. And where did he find answers? He says, until I was able to enter the sanctuary. And I saw answers. It's a place of beholding the beauty of the Lord, to inquire of the Lord, and it's a place to behold and to, to, be, to be protected, to be sheltered in the times when we need that shelter from the Lord. So if you think about first five books of the Bible, and it's called Torah, or five books of Moses, what do you think is the most important book in Torah? What is the heart of Torah? What is the center of Torah? See, in our Greek thinking, you would think the book of Genesis, because it's book number one, right? Our Greek thinking puts number one as most important. In Jewish thinking, it's not number one or not the last one. Which is? Which one is most important in the, in the, in the, in the Moses five books of Old Testament? The book of Leviticus, she, it's in the center. What's in the center is most important. So if I would ask you a question, what is the central or most important chapter in the book of Leviticus? It's Leviticus 16, the central chapter of Leviticus. If I were to ask you which verse from Leviticus 16 is most important and, and central to the whole Torah, it's verse 16 in Leviticus 16. And what is in the center of verse 16, you would ask? You would be surprised, but it's so amazing. Bible is so amazing. No person would come up with such a book. It's divinely inspired book. Let's look at verse 16, and we'll see what is in the center of verse 16. So he shall make an atonement. The word atonement is in the center of whole 
five books of Moses in the book of Leviticus in chapter 16 and in the verse 16. In fact, in chapter 16 alone, the word atonement is mentioned how many times? 16 times. He shall make atonement, and it's talking about the day of judgment, day of atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and for all their sins. So obviously to, uh, to God, atonement and the day of atonement is very central and it's, it's of high importance. Now what does that word mean, atonement? The word sanctuary means to separate. The purpose of sanctuary is to separate sin from sinner. So sinner would bring the sacrifice and would go home free of sin, forgiven, cleansed. So the, the word sanctuary means to separate. The word atonement means to bring together. It means to unite or make one. Some commentators, they say atonement, the easiest way to, to uh, remember the meaning of the word is to make it at one to be at one. See, sin separates us from God. But because of the atonement, because of this day of atonement, the sinner was brought, was brought back together with the Lord and made just one. It was the day called Yom Kippur, most important day of the year. In fact, it was the day of fasting and prayer. People abstained from all work. Like on other holidays, people could do shopping, they could do uh, food preparation, they could do all kinds of travel, but on the Sabbath and Day of Atonement, they could not do any of those things. So it was so important, it was so high, high importance for God. Tenth day of the seventh month, Abib, or Nisan, the way they called this month after Babylonian captivity. It was the day when people would be reunited with the Lord and they would be justified, they would be sanctified, and they would be sealed in the covenant of God. It is interesting to note that before chapter 16 in the book of Leviticus, the most um, frequent used word is blood. So we have blood, 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 blood all throughout the first 16 chapters. But if you look in chapters from 16 to 27 to the end of the book, it's no blood anymore. It's other word that is most frequently used. It's holy, 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 holy. That tells me something about this Day of Atonement that I don't want you to miss. Because in the center of the um, Torah and the center of the atonement day, it's not a judgment per se, but it's a sacrifice and cleansing that is provided by the sacrifice. And that sacrifice points out to none other than our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Now, if you were to ask, what about Daniel? He is writing also in the, in the Old Testament, so what judgment meant for him? Was it important for Daniel? Let me ask you a question. 
What does the name Daniel mean? God is my judge. God is my judge. Is judgment important for Daniel? Okay, let's look at the structure of the book of Daniel. Which is the central chapter in the book of Daniel? The central chapter is chapter 7. What is the central verse in chapter 7? It's the verse that Alex read this morning. The judgment is in session. So it is important for Daniel because his name is about judgment and the center of his book is also judgment. Now, is it important for Revelation and John, the Revelator? I mentioned to you that there are seven scenes in the book of Revelation and all the theologians and commentators agree that the heart of the book of Revelation are chapters 12 through 14. What is the central passage for the whole book of Revelation? Most of the commentators and theologians agree that the central verses of the book of Revelation are in chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. And what is the central theme in Revelation 14, verses 1 through 7? The hour of his judgment has come. Wow! If for the five books of Moses the central topic is judgment, if for Daniel the central topic is judgment, and for Revelation the central topic is judgment, do we need to understand it better? <laughs> do we need to study it better? It must be important. So I think I made my point. We can move on, right? So let's look at the, the best illustration of judgment It's given in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 3 gives us a brief and memorable view of the judgment. As it opens, Joshua the high priest stands before the angel of the Lord, and Satan is there, stands to accuse him. Now, Joshua is the high priest, and he, in this case, represents the people before God. He, had, he stands in the courtroom, and he wears dirty clothes. A clear symbol of sin. With his dirty clothes, Joshua represents the people. He identifies with the people, and that's why his robe is dirty. Now, the, the, the word that the Bible uses for dirty is filthy. I will not go into detail. I will give you homework assignment. Go and study that word. You will be surprised the meaning of that word. It's not a grease from the garage if you worked on the car. It's not, it's not kind of a house paint if you worked on painting the house. It's nothing like that. But you can study it at home. I will not take your time. So he stands there and his clothes are dirty. And his case is dire. He has no chance, so to speak. But he has a defender and defender speaks up, and the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of fire? Let's look at this scene. Let's look at what we can learn here. And then after, after the defender speaks, his clothes are exchanged to clean ones, and he receives a promise and peace um, and promise to walk in heavenly courts. So who is the accuser in this, in this particular setting here? It's, a, it's Satan. By the way, his name Satan means accuser, adversary. Devil means slanderer, deceiver. 
So notice that God is not the accuser in the judgment. Amen. Is that the good news? God is not the accuser. Many people think that the, the judgment day is when God is going to be accusing people. God is trying to get everyone he can into heaven. Amen? So Satan is accusing. In fact, um, let's note here that Satan does not have to lie. Did you notice that? In this particular case, he does not have to lie because his clothes, his robe is dirty, right? So he doesn't have to make things up. All he has to do is to point <laughs> to the fact that his clothes is dirty. The Bible says that that's the fact. And no further inquiry is necessary. When we read today about the judgment scene and the books were open, what is contained in those books? All kinds of information, right? Now, I want you to know that in the original, it's not books. It's scrolls. So when when Bible was translated and written, they used the word books. If we were to use today's terminology, what would you use for the books today? The cloud storage, right? <laughs> the cloud storage was open and things were shown on a big screen. The judgment is reviewing all the data. And Satan is standing there and he is pointing out to that data. He says, look. And nobody is discussing whether it's a fact or not because it's a known fact. It's there. Okay? Notice that God does not argue with Satan about Joshua's merit. Or he's not trying to excuse Joshua or, or rationalize or trivialize Joshua's guilt. The clothes are dirty. The record says it and that's all it notes. So what is the main focus of the judgment here? It's not on the state of Joshua's clothes. The judgment is not discussing his dirtiness, if you will. What judgment is doing here, I want you to see. What judgment is doing, God's reply is like this. He says that the Lord chose Jerusalem... You say the need to be rebuked, keep quiet, <laughs> and it says here, is not this a brand plucked out of fire? What does it mean? All God says in the judgment, yes, his clothes is dirty, but I'm pulling him out of fire. The judgment message is that someone is putting his hand in fire to get you out of there. Because he loves you so much. The essence of judgment is God is on your side and he will do everything and anything to get you into heaven. I love that picture of judgment. Notice that judgment is not discussing the measure of your sin. That's an interesting thought. If you sin more or less, Did you realize that when the offerings were given and God's people would bring sacrifices to the temple, the size of the sacrifice was not according to the measure of sin? You would think so. If people sinned more, they need to bring bigger sacrifice, right? That's our human thinking. 
The sacrifice did not depend on the measure of sin. It depended only on social status of the person, what people could do, what they could afford. Sometimes it was just a flower, a grain, right? The essence of the judgment here is that Jesus stands in the midst of heavenly court and he is there to redeem and defend and pull you out and save you and you can trust that he will not lose the case if you have entrusted to him. Amen? Amen. Let's read from Daniel, the central verse in Daniel 7 where it talks about the judgment. And I was watching in the night visions. Daniel is shown the judgment. He says, and behold, one like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom. I want you to see this. Jesus is your Defender, he's your attorney, and he's your friend in judgment. You still have question marks in your mind, and I understand that, because you're asking a question, I understand that Jesus is my representative and my judge and my defender in the heavenly court. What I need to do to make sure I use that benefit? Is that the question you have? How do I know for sure that Jesus is there for me and he is defending my name and my case? This is the study that we'll open up in the next presentation. <laughs> we will study in detail how are we going to be saved and how we can be certain that Jesus is our representative in heavenly court. Today I want to just wrap up by, by saying that the judgment will, will deal with more issues than just your salvation and mine. Because if we think the judgment is only about you and me, it's a narrow understanding of the judgment. However, your destiny and my destiny is very important for the judgment. You know why? Because God is anxious to bring you home. Just like Pastor Wayne was praying today. He is more anxious to bring us home than we may be anxious to be there, right? He loves you so much. He cares so much. And he wants us to be there. So how is he going to do it? Here's the problem. Two people sin with the same sin. One is saved and one is lost. Is there an example in the Bible like that? Yes, there is. Peter and Judas. Both denied Christ. One saved and one is lost. See, if, if, if reaching heaven was about getting up to certain bar and meeting some requirements, there would not need to be the judgment. Because it would be obvious that this person, you know, just like on the test, you reach certain percentage, 
you're good. There wouldn't need to be a judgment. But judgment has to decide why Peter can be saved and Judas cannot be saved. See, God offers his forgiveness and grace to both. But one accepts it and another rejects it. And judgment has to see the evidence to make sure that God did not make an arbitrary decision. Have you thought about Barabbas? Have you thought about Barabbas and the fact that Jesus set him free? Because Barabbas was in prison, right? He was going to pay the penalty for what he did. But because of Jesus, he walked on the streets free. Jesus gave him the gift. But did he come back to Jesus to receive the gift fully? The new life that Jesus would offer? We don't find that record in the Bible. Barabbas was offered the gift, but he never came back for the gift. So first thing the judgment is dealing with is saving people like you and me. People that have free will to repent and also free will to turn our back on God. See, love cannot be forced. But repentance and coming to God is the real deal. A judgment is a real deal. Would you agree with that? We're accountable to God. Judgment is going on now. And repentance is the key here. That's why the angel is pronouncing, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. It's a call for repentance. Revelation 3.5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blow out, out His name from the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. We'll expand on this topic in our next study of how we get to the point that Jesus is there for us and he is confessing our names before God. There is a second aspect of the judgment that we sh should not overlook. It's a judgment on God himself and his character. Amen? See, the great controversy started because of accusations on God and his character. And so the whole universe was shaken, so to speak. One third of the angels turned their back on God and joined the, um, the enemy with his accusations against God. So rebellion started in heaven, in the sanctuary, in the very presence of God, and it needs to be resolved in the sanctuary. The questions about the character of God will be raised, and judgment is about full disclosure and transparency. God is going to answer to the rebels and dissidents. Onlooking universe will be observing and the character of God will be restored and vindicated before the whole universe. Revelation chapter 16, I believe, our next verse, it tells us about the final verdict. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God's character will be restored because 
that will be critical for the harmony and peace to last throughout eternity. The universe will trust in God again. The third aspect of judgment. So the first one is salvation for you and me. The second one is a judgment over the government of God and his character. And the third thing will be the justice that needs to be done regarding those who persecuted God's people. See, the message of judgment in the book of Revelation appears in the context of persecution. And the voice is heard, how long, how long until you repay? How long, O Lord? And we all feel deep inside the desire for fairness, right? And justice. If I, would ask, if I were to ask you, have you been treated unjustly, I, I, I think every hand will go up. That's why David is so excited about, about the judgment. That's why God's people throughout ages are so excited about judgment, because the justice will be restored. God is just. He is fair. The judgment will be able to restore justice forever again. And there will be no more oppression or persecution. Because the book of Revelation, if you think about it, it's, it's a story of the persecution of God, on God's people. And we know that as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, there will be processes and things that will be happening. And God's people will not be fav in favor of the majority if you will, of this world that is, is getting really crazy. Amen? Amen? And so Jesus is coming to restore justice and truth, and that's why judgment is good news. Satan's awful rule on earth will be finally coming to an end, and the reign of terror will be over. No more broken lives, no more, no more terrible alcohol and drug addictions. No more wars and rumors of war. No more sickness. No more chemotherapy. No more virus. No more pandemic. Aren't you grateful for that? That's also part of the judgment news. That's also part of God's promise. That things will be restored. And we are living, trusting and waiting for that day to come. So how can we give conf have confidence? Pastor, can you give us some good news today? We want to hold on to something. I want to show you, show you an illustration. Let's go to the next slide. This is the breastplate of the priest, of the high priest. And as he would enter the most holy place, he would enter only by himself. But look what he has on his breastplate. He has precious stones. And on those precious stones, he has the names of the tribes of the children of Israel. What is that symbolism all about? Jesus, our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, he is ministering on our behalf. And guess what? You are as close to his heart as you can be. 
Because in the book of Isaiah, it tells me, Isaiah 46, 49, verse 16, it says, See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He entered the most holy place with your name. If you have committed your life to him, this is our confidence. This is the foundation of our confidence. No wonder our pioneers thought that the message of the sanctuary is so important. Do you know what type of preaching was most popular in their days? The basic preaching was, you're so bad, you have no chance. <laughs> so, so no wonder when they saw the beauty of the sanctuary message and the high priest that carries the names of God's people before God's presence, they thought, wow, this is our confidence, this is our message. My friend, yes, this is the time to make sure that your life is committed to him. As children of the heavenly king, we can live without fear of God's judgment because of Jesus. It's time to come, him, to come to him now. The message of the judgment has one more aspect. When it's over, it's really over. We have no plan B from God and no other chance. Our lifetime and our time today is our only time to make sure that we turn to Him and we trust in Him. Amen? Amen? That's why the urgency of the appeal of the angel, the hour of His judgment, His come, is calling us to make decisions today. Have you committed your life to Jesus? Revelation twenty-two twelve says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I pray that Jesus is your constant friend. I pray that in him you can have confidence and peace. And this song we're going to sing.